Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee served the Lord for more than seven decades, and these life studies represent his contribution to the ever-expanding understanding of the revelation of the Bible. The purpose of these life studies is to present the truths contained in the scriptures and to minister the genuine life supply, to solve the common and hard problems found in the Bible and to open up every book of the Bible through interpretation. We're very happy to bring you selected portions from his speaking today. If you'd like to learn more about the Life Studies, please visit our website at lifestudy.com. Simply lifestudy.com. Now, here's today's program. In the final chapters of 2 Kings, the Lord was ultimately forced to give up his people Israel because of their continual degradation and the hardness of their hearts. Even when he allowed the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel and carry them away into captivity, those in the southern kingdom of Judah refused to heed this warning and continued in their evil ways. Eventually, the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and the walls of the city, and took the king, Zedekiah, to Babylon. Soon, the entire nation of Israel was taken in captivity. But through the following several hundred years, though the nation of Israel was never again fully restored, Jehovah maintained a lineage of the descendants of King David until ultimately Christ, the promised seed of David, could be brought forth in Israel. This maintained God's original intention and made possible both our redemption and our regeneration. Francis Paul has joined us as we near the end of this live study of the books of First and Second Kings. Good to have you back, Francis. Well, it's very good to be back and see how marvelous God had dealt with his people. And it's very meaningful to us if we get into the real picture here of what the Old Testament people of God were like and how it does resemble the New Testament. Very much. It's one of those programs, one of those passages of uh, Scripture where we see a warning that was uh, given in God's mercy, really, to his people that was disregarded. And the outcome, obviously, a very negative outcome for uh, God's people in the Old Testament. But the warning in principle operates in the New Testament principle as well, doesn't it? Very much so. Francis, let's look at a passage here. This is Israel coming into the darkest hour of its entire history. I think the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and then the carrying away of the people ultimately into Babylon after the Lord had built up and established the kingdom of Israel in such a marvelous way under the rule of David and then his son Solomon until it began to degrade. We're really at the bottom of the trough here, aren't we today? Yes, that is really the case. Francis, there's the account in Second Kings chapter 25 in the first seven verses. If you wouldn't mind, my throat's a little raw, as I think our listeners can hear. Maybe I'd ask you to read these verses to give us a good background. Okay, it says, In the ninth year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came. He and his whole army against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. The famine was so severe within the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was breached, 
and all the men of war fled by night. While the Chaldeans were all around the city, and the king went on the way toward the Arab, and the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him, and they seized the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon to Riblah. And they pronounced judgment upon him, and they slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes, then put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. What a tragic, tragic end. Well, uh, of course, then there was a, a governor appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to rule over those that remain in Judah for a time, but eventually the armies of Nebuchadnezzar carry all of the people, virtually all of the people, into captivity. Uh, but the Lord is not through, even though it appears that he has forsaken his people, but in his economy, he maintains a line which we'll see today. All right, let's join Witness Lee with our first portion. This section tells us the tragedy of the rottenness of the children of Israel. They became totally rotten, corrupted, forcing God to take no other way but to terminate Israel. Firstly, God sent the Syrians to uh, take over the nation of Israel on the north and took away the uh, people from Israel to Assyria as captives. That brought in quite a confusion. Judah should be warned, but they still went on in their evil way more than ever. This forced God to take action, to terminate Israel in four ways. To burn the temple, they call the holy temple, to turn down all the walls of Jerusalem, the holy city, to devastate the land, the holy land, and then captured the people as captives. And this termination was done all by the Babylonians. Firstly, by its king, Nebuchadnezzar. Then after a few years, by Nebuchadnezzar's bodyguard, the captain of the army. Uh, so these two captivities terminated Israel to the uttermost. You have to know this termination has lasted for 26 centuries. Even though God came to become a man, to live human life under the Roman Empire, yet the nation of Israel would not repent. God came personally to contact them, they rejected him. So, the last devastation of Jerusalem until today, there was by Titus, the prince of the Roman Empire at uh, AD 70. Francis, uh, 
We have not spent too much time in these later messages in the book of uh, 2 Kings going over the history other than to point out with each successive king it seemed to get darker and darker nearly. A few exceptions, Hezekiah of course, the one positive exception near the end. But I think it's worth spending a couple of minutes at least to fellowship at this point now because we do see the destruction of Israel and the termination of the nation of Israel and a termination that lasted for, as he just pointed out, nearly 26 centuries, clear up until the 20th century before we see the nation of Israel restored. Of course, the children of Israel did go back from captivity back into Israel uh, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and there was some rebuilding work done, but the nation never really restored. And then, of course, the Roman Empire emerges, and it's uh, under their control, which is the situation at the time of Christ. But the Lord was faithful, wasn't he, to bring the people back. So at least this aspect of the fulfillment of his uh, original intention could uh, take place in the land of Palestine, and in that, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. That's so marvelous how that lineage was maintained. This is surely God's wisdom, his sovereignty, and his mercy, that throughout all those centuries there was a maintaining of a lineage there that would connect everything that he brought forth eventually with David, Mm. to whom he made so many promises. Right. And this means that uh, the Roman Empire, even though it was trying to devastate Israel, and Israel had been devastated so completely, yet there were two people, Joseph and Mary, that were both in the line of descendants from David, and the fulfillment of God's prophecy and intention was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem by this couple. Francis, we want to move forward now to that fulfillment, and certainly, Francis, we pay attention to We appreciate and we worship God for our redemption and the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, but not that alone, do we? And that is the part of the fulfillment that is often maybe underemphasized in Christian ministry generally, and we try to uh, uh, somewhat focus on this other aspect, which we'll see in this coming portion, don't we? Yes, that is what we will see, and that's very, very important because so many Christians have narrowed their view down in our worship of the Lord Jesus just to his being the incarnation of God, which is marvelous and which we worship very much. And I mentioned that the Lord Jesus was born of this couple. That's not wholly the truth. He was born of Mary without the human father because always he was from the father the Heavenly Father, God Himself. So uh, that's what makes this so marvelous, what He has purposed. And the fact that this Lord Jesus, who was God in man, living a human life, never did anything independent of His Father. He said, I always do those things that please my Father. Mm. Francis, uh, a verse that will come out in this portion, which we've mentioned recently again, I think it's worth reading, maybe uh, because my voice is weak and yours is quite strong today, I'll have you read 1 Peter 1.3, because it will help us uh, to realize that in his crucifixion, death, and resurrection, more than redemption was accomplished. And this in no way diminishes redemption, but we certainly want to see what else uh, took place there in his resurrection. Why don't you read this verse for us? 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has regenerated us unto a living hope Mm. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, there's much more here than just the 
the incarnation of God in Christ. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee. You could see the genealogy of Christ has been kept until God became a man. And the lineage of this genealogy has been quite often becoming very thin, nearly cut out. But thank God and praise Him for His sovereignty. That lineage of the genealogy of Christ has never been broken. The divided royal family was destroyed, but God still kept a lineage out of David's descendants for him to come to be a man. Through his descendants, Mary and Joseph. Mary was a descendant of David, and Joseph was also. These two eventually got married. It was through this couple that Jesus came. That brought God into humanity on this earth. That changed the entire age of the whole universe, including the heavens. Now, God has come to be a man and lived on this earth and entered into death and passed through death into resurrection. In resurrection, the incarnated God as a man, as the lost Adam in the flesh, became consummately and eventually the life-giving spirit. It is altogether not a small thing. This brought God into millions of the human race. By 1 Peter 1, 3, you could see we all were born there. We all were regenerated through that resurrection. Francis, a verse that goes uh, extremely well with First Peter 1, 3, confirming this point that we were all regenerated with him in that day is Acts 13, 33. He was begotten on the day of resurrection, and it wasn't a solo birth, was it? No, that is the marvelous thing. At one point, that was the most wonderful thing I had seen in the scriptures, that we were regenerated on the day that Christ was resurrected. Wow. Because his resurrection was so inclusive that included all his chosen people, and we were regenerated with his resurrection. And this is what's brought out and even carried out by what we read about Paul's attitude toward his life. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. That's something we all need to realize, that this matter of salvation is just not limited to our being redeemed, but it includes the saving of our life in all of its corruption like uh, Israel became. Mm -hmm. Yet we got saved not only just from perdition, we are in the process still of enjoying this salvation because Christ being our life. Due to the fall of man and uh, the sin element entering in and corrupting mankind and all of creation, 
man could not be regenerated were it not for the accomplishment of our redemption. But these two things really came together in the work of Christ on the cross at Calvary, didn't they? Yes, that's isn't that marvelous, Chris? These two things came together in the work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. We were redeemed by his death on the cross. Our sins were forgiven by the shedding of his blood. But he resurrected. Let's not forget this. Right. That we just don't want to preach a gospel that just gets us redeemed. Because God's intention, even in creating man, was to come into man and be the life of man. So without this resurrection and without this being applied to us, Mm -hmm. his believers, we would have no way to live the kind of life God intended. But by this way, there is a way. You just said something very significant. I hope our listeners caught it. I'm going to try to repeat it in an effort to sort of underscore it. And that is that uh, it was God's original intention that man would be regenerated, that he would have the divine life imparted into him. And in the book of Genesis, of course, in uh, chapter 2, the Lord placed man in front of the tree of life, right? Right. And that's before man fell. That's right. Which means that was God's intention from the very beginning, that this divine life of God would be our portion and our daily uh, source of our living. For years, I missed that point, Yeah, Chris. I didn't realize that I'm not saved to uh, be forgiven and somehow go to heaven or some pleasant place, but God's salvation includes the resurrection of Christ in which he puts his own life into us, and it's there for his intention that he should be able to live his life in us Hmm. and through us. Francis, let's go back to Witness Lee as we uh, wrap up today's program. God's intention from the very beginning was firstly to make man. Then he instructed man to take himself at the tree of life. And that indicates man should not live by his own life. Man should live by another life, by God's life. And this indicates the created man should be over, should be terminated. And the created man should be regenerated. So regeneration doesn't mean man got fallen, becoming uh, bad, so man needs to have another life. This is wrong teaching. From the very beginning, before man got fallen, before sin entered into the human race, God's intention was already to have man regenerated. By this you can see Regardless, you are good, you are bad, that doesn't mean much. You've got to be over. <laughs> That's all. You have to receive God as your life. And you have to live as a man, but not by you, the man's life, but by God, the life in resurrection. This means every day you have to realize you are no more a man by yourself. You do have another one whose life is superior to yours. Yours is not just human, but also fallen. And his is divine, is holy. So now you have two lives in you, the created life and the regenerated life. The natural life 
and the life in resurrection. The natural life is your life. That's you. That's your old man. That's your flesh. That altogether has been terminated by Christ on the cross. Terminated doesn't mean God gave up. In this termination, there is a power to redeem us. So we got redeemed. We got terminated by Christ's eyes. And we got germinated by Christ's resurrection. So every day, in great things, small things, you did life. Not by you, but by another one who is joined to you, who is mingled with you. That's God. So now, don't forget, you are not a simple man. You are a God-man. Francis, this is a very profound thought. You know, some of us in our natural birth, our natural constitution, are inherently pretty good. Yeah. And some of us are not so pretty good. But it's interesting that the Lord placed Adam in front of the tree of life before sin had even entered onto the scene. So at that point, of course, Adam was good. And still the Lord is pointing him to another superior life. Right. This really implies there's a life available to us that is superior to ours, regardless of whether we're good or not so good. That's right. It's not a matter of good or bad. It's a matter of being regenerated. That means another life gets into us, a superior life, right. a life that's above our life, more capable in our life, so that we have two lives, our human natural life, which we should not live by, and now the divine life, which is superior and supplying us to live this kind of God-man life, as Brother Lee mentioned. Would you mind reading one more verse for us? I think it makes the point of this third section extremely well, and it's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Yes, I referred to that earlier, but I'd like to read it. I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Tremendous. That uh, verse really, I think, encapsulates uh, the program and uh, the fellowship we have uh, been trying to have here today, doesn't it? And this brings in focus the meaning of our salvation. Right. It's not just that we get improved or we try to keep the commandments, but that we have another life in us. Uh, if we would be so... Uh quick to realize that God puts very, very little value in what we can accomplish, what we can do on our own, and we would just uh, let it be where he left it, and that is terminated in his death on the cross, uh -huh. so that this superior life to which we would flee every day and enjoy and let be lived out of us. In other words, we need to live under the death of the cross of Christ that terminated our old life but it germinated us so that we could live by another life. Francis, uh, we've just got a couple of programs left, and I do apologize for the uh, raspy, weak throat and voice today. Hope uh, that uh, Francis's strong voice has been able to carry the water and carry the message today. I will point out, however, that the toll-free number is available, and I assure you the person that answers the phone will have a good, strong voice and be uh, eager to hear from you and uh, give you the information that you'd like to have. And we hope, of course, you'd like to find out about receiving the life study of First and Second Kings uh, or any other information you'd like. Please call us toll-free. That's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 
888-888-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29 and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.